Hello, Channel Pros. I'm back from a fantastic and incredibly fun Beyond Trust Company kickoff in Orlando. You may be wrapping up your kickoffs as well. Now it's time to get back to work building our partner ecosystems. I'm Rob Spee, the host of Channel Journeys. You know, my goal with this podcast is to help you navigate the changing partner landscape and find new ways to grow your business and your channel career. Several episodes ago, I had Jay McBain on the show. We were talking about the new chief partner officer and chief ecosystem officer roles. Well, what does it take to become an ecosystem leader? If that's a question you're asking yourself, you're going to love this show. To answer this question, I turn to my talented channel friend, Janet Shines. She's the CEO of the JS Group. Janet shares the top 10 skills sales and channel leaders need to learn to become ecosystem leaders and to leverage the full power of the partner ecosystem. Are you ready to become an ecosystem leader? Let's go. Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hey, Janet. Hello. Good morning. I guess it's good afternoon. Welcome back to the Channel Journeys podcast. Great to see you. Great to see you always. Always nice to see an old friend, especially right now around the holidays. So thank you. We're for in the holiday me. season. Yes, we are. Now, by the time I launch this, we might be out of the holiday season. That's okay. That's all right. Every day is a holiday in the tech industry. <laughs> Every day is a holiday. I was listening to your prior podcast, three years, Janet, since you were last on the show. Years. I know. Why haven't you invited me sooner? I'm kind of disappointed. I know. I feel really bad. I really, really bad. What kind of channel friend am I, huh? <laughs> exactly. I thought we were better friends than that. Well, that's because we catch up other ways. So it's okay. It's yeah. Fun. All right. But it will not, I will not let three years slip by because you come up with so much interesting information. Always want to have you back on the show. That was episode 37 when you were on. Yeah. Wow. How incredible is that? And by the way, a lot of the information I come up with is because they have a phenomenal team. And so you should, our PhD and head of research and social influence, Ashlyn Silva, you should have her on and pick her brain too, because she makes me smart. So <laughs> That's what we need. We need smart people around us to we do. help us make us look good. <laughs> so a, a lot has changed, Janet, in those three years since you were last on the show. That was pre-COVID. So we've survived the global pandemic. Hallelujah. Yeah, I think we have, right? Yeah, so that's good. We think we have, yeah. We're still here, so that's good. I changed jobs. I joined Beyond Trust uh, in the last couple of years, and we've transitioned, you know, in that time frame too, from talking all about channels to talking about ecosystems, and that is all the buzz. Now, the one thing that hasn't changed in the three years, Janet, is that podcast was all about becoming a channel influencer, and you are still a massive channel influencer. It's so much fun watching you and and hearing from you and. Now you're the ecosystem influencer. That's my new tagline for you. Now I'm the ecosystem influencer. And I think a lot of people initially listening to that podcast said, oh, come on, you're over indexing on how important influence is going to be. And now I have a lot of people that say to me, boy, you know, you were there before we all realized, you know, what was really happening, not just in the channel with partners, but down to the end user customer. It really is an influence-driven decade, I think, because, you know, it's the decade of the ecosystem influence. We're two years in. For sure. And I don't think any of the tactics that you described three years ago really have changed. No, I think it's gotten harder to have influence. 
So it is still of the top 10 skills that ecosystem leaders need to kind of empower a healthy, profitable future. It is still in the top three, I would say. But how easy it is to gain influence, it's like anything else, right? If you start saving early, you know, it's much easier to get to your number. If you start saving late, you have to put a lot more money away. Same way with influence now, you can just be a lot better at it than if you started it three years ago. Yeah, interesting. All right. So last time I saw you was out in Salt Lake City at the InPartnerCon conference and uh, excellent conference, a lot of talk about ecosystems. And you shared uh, the top 10 skills that ecosystem leaders need. And I, I thought it was fascinating. And I would love for you to share that with the Channel Journeys audience. I would love to, too. And I think it's even more, you know, as we were in Salt Lake City just a few short months ago, and as people listen to this podcast, you know, probably a month from now, the economy just continues to slip and slide and squirm. And so it's even more critical now, as particularly as many tech companies are, are considering layoffs or expense reductions. We have to be cognizant that if we want to be an ecosystem leader, either in our own firm or somewhere else in the industry, that we have to stand up our skill level because the talent hoarding that was happening isn't happening any longer. And so we really need to stand out from the crowd. And that's what I was talking about in Salt Lake City was, look, there's there's skills. And, and we've always talked about skills, right? But it's more than ever now. You have to have these 10, I believe, 10 critical skills to not only stand out, but succeed. And so, you know, that's what I was talking about in Salt Lake. And hopefully that's what you're going to let me talk about today. That's exactly what I want to talk about, Janet. And Anyone who's listening at this point is thinking, okay, do I have those 10 skills? Am I displaying them? <laughs> <laughs> right. And do you have, I love what you just said. Do I have them? And am I displaying them? Right. Cause they're, you know, that difference between willing and able, right. Um, that needs to kind of pop up to the top. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dig into it then, Jana. What's our first skill we need to have as ecosystem leaders? So I'm going to make a pre-skill. Okay. So the pre-skill before you, you know, think about the 10 skills you need to have as an ecosystem leader is. Just because you've worked in the channel doesn't make you an ecosystem leader. So I need everybody to kind of pull that out of their brain because for the last decade or so, the fact that you worked in the channel was the number one requirement to work in the channel. And so I want to make sure that people understand that, in fact, um, all these ecosystem leaders that are being named by some rather large and innovative tech companies, none of them have come from the existing channel chief. Most of them have not come from internal to the organization's channel uh, organization as well. And so that's a huge wake-up call. That's my pre-skill warning is just because you're in the channel, right, doesn't mean you're getting that top ecosystem leader job. It's just not that way. You know, it's not the same as when we went from, uh, let's say, you know, channel director to channel chief to chief partner officer. This is not the same journey. This this chief ecosystem leader, and in many cases, they're even now using the CPO for this chief partner officer. It's not because you're in the channel. So that's just kind of the first thing for everybody to just go, oh, uh oh, you know, my background alone, not enough. Even more important that we learn these 10 skills and start displaying them. Exactly. So that was my first one. Like, don't be listening, thinking, it's okay. I'm the channel chief. I'll be fine. Ooh. All right. Now that we're scared into listening for sure, Janet. Yeah. The data would indicate you will not be fine. So that, you know, so and we study this and, and just kind of, Rob, to get us started, I mentioned at the start of this that we have a whole team that works on research and then we have other teams that work in partner activation and vendor activation in the channel. So 
we're seeing this real time. We're not making these skills up. This is based on deep data research as well as field feedback. So we, you know, we're, we're sharing these, you know, top of mind. So the first one is the program. So the skill that an ecosystem leader needs to demonstrate around the channel program is not the channel programs of the past. It's not the tiered triangle with the revenue requirements and the training benefits and the MDF and, you know, you're good to go. That is no longer what's working. When you think about this ecosystem, you have, if you're, if you're Microsoft, hundreds of thousands, and if you're others, thousands of partners who are no longer transacting. So they're sitting at the table and they're part of your influence sphere, but they may not actually be placing the order. And so I think the most important skill, and if you don't have it, you can contract it. Shameless plug. It's what I do for a living. You can contract that help. You, the program change that needs to come about is just a magnitude of order beyond what we've ever seen before. Because not only do you have to go digital and simplify and satisfy existing partners, but you've got this whole new route to market, this whole new way of going to market that includes a lot of non-transacting partnerships and a lot of partner to partner that requires a new program. So that first skill is really understanding what's happening in those programs and in the program space and getting your program fixed up right. Um, that should not cost you a million dollars to do. This is the decade of simplicity. And in fact, I've never done a channel program where I couldn't find the money in the existing channel program to do the ecosystem play. Okay. So number one is develop a channel, an ecosystem partner program. Ecosystem program that cares, of course, for your existing transactional partners, but also brings into mind all the things that are happening in digital and influence and non-transacting and solution and alliance partnerships. So really strengthening, bringing in that program and having the skills to understand what's needed in that program is the first skill. The next one is shifting your strategic focus. So for a long time, our strategic focus as channel chiefs, and I'm a multiple time channel chief as are you, our focus many times was expansion of the sales capacity of the organization, right? So we're going to sell this amount direct and this amount indirect. You constantly heard this. And some firms were clever and good enough to say we're going to sell 100% indirect. And that's all good too. But that strategic focus of the ecosystem being a replacement for sales is no longer right. And so some of the strategic focus skills that you need to do are really get exquisitely good at co-selling and understanding how co-selling works. And that co-selling could be your direct rep plus partners. It could be several partners. It could be a customer plus a partner. As we think about all these softwares as a services that are being bundled up, right, by Walmart and others. So that strategic focus of we're not just a replication of a sales force is really a massive skill that people are, are trying to undertake, many of them struggling. If you're a channel leader who's saying, yeah, direct won't let us cover those accounts or those accounts are blocked, I need merely to point you to T-Mobile, who, by the way, uh, Truth and Lending, we did write their program, with, rewrite their program with them last year, my team, who made an announcement last year that said there are no blocked accounts at T-Mobile because that's not how the industry works anymore. Depending on the technology, any set of partners, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten partners might be in an account. We don't own that account. And so we're not going to block you. And then you fast forward to the news that Boeing, who has been with Verizon for decades, left Verizon and went to T-Mobile. And then when you dig deeper, you find out it's because a partner did that. 
because the partner wasn't blocked. And the partner was not a transacting partner, but they were blocked from even talking to the account about the, for the other two carriers by Verizon and AT&T. And so this is the world we're in, right? So your strategic focus of this, I can't, or I'm competing with direct sales or direct sales won't let me, you cannot have that. And you, you've got to have the influence to be able to change the strategic focus of your firm to get away from that as well, right? So that's the second skill is shifting that strategic focus, understanding that every sale is going to be, have a partner sitting at the table and how do you deal with that, right? 91% Jay McBain's statistics. So that's every sale. Janet, the way I talk about that with my reps is I say, hey, look, you're going to have a partner in every deal and it, but it may not be the transaction itself. You may do the deal direct on your paper, but you're going to have some partner involved or multiple partners involved in the equation. Correct. And they may very well be doing their own services, for example, and they don't need your commission or your discount, right? That's not what their value is in the deal. Or they may be using your technology, coupling it with their technology and bringing it forward, you know, in a new and exciting way. So that strategic focus has to shift if you're going to be the ecosystem leader. You're not the replacement for sales. You're the market mate. You're the market taker. And so that strategic focus shift is interesting. And I think one of the things that will happen is we're going to see a lot more CROs staffed from the ecosystem leader in the next five years than what we've seen in the past, right? We haven't seen a lot of progression of channel chief to CRO, at least not in the big tech companies. So we've been the direct sales leader to CRO. So I think we're going to see that shift. What I'd love to see, Janet, is the regional vice presidents of sales being replaced by ecosystem RVPs. But that's what's going to happen. It, that was the interesting. So my next skill is all around that. So it's around this man, this this concept of the management cadence in your operating model. So the operating model before used to be quarterly business reviews. The management cadence was who are our top 20 partners, right? How are our top 20 partners doing? What enterprise deals do we want them in, not want them in? This management cadence is going to change all the way down. And you're going to start to see the, to your point, the RVP of sales is going to now be the RVP of ecosystems. And the salesperson that you used to bring in and say, here's your hundred accounts is going to be told, here's your five ecosystem plays. Here's your plays. Not even these are the exact partners. Here's your plays. You're in the Detroit area. It's heavy manufacturing. Here's your plays. Here's the folks, the group of folks that are going to be at the table. And that changes your management cadence. It changes how you hire. It changes how you measure success, right? It changes everything. And so that management cadence and understanding what has to shift, because instead of a straight line sales role, you are actually influencing the ecosystem. What needs to change? And I'll give you a great example. One of our clients said, we're, you know, we're considering these three uh, VPs. And they called up and they said, you know, do you know, um, you, you know, and I knew I did know all three of them. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah but let me give you a different scorecard because how you're looking at it, previous channel experience, made their number, didn't make your number is very old school. So the first thing that we did was we had all three candidates live with the recruiter pull up their LinkedIn social selling index score. Two of them had a score less than 50. And I said to the company, you can't hire them. You can't hire them. You should have at least a 75 on LinkedIn SSI if you're going to be an influence in the industry, at least a 75. If you were a 65, I might say, okay, with a little work, I can get you to a 75. But at a 48, I can't get you there. You're not the right person. 
And so that's what I'm saying by that management cadence, even hiring changes of how do you hire people? It's not that they had success in the past selling through a partner who took in their router and switch and resold it. It's that they had success knitting together complex situations where there were multiple influencers and that they understood how to do that and that they had the influence to do that. That's how you're going to start picking your sellers. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that was a big wake up call for that company. By the way, the person that they did hire that had a 71, so we got them doing 80 is killing it. So um, we're all going to be checking our social selling skills uh, score after this. Yes. Very simple. Just sign into LinkedIn, then Google, what is my LinkedIn social selling index, SSI, and it'll pull you right up to the site and you just go get my score. And then you can see all four areas. And I'll talk about that uh, again a little bit later. Um, So that's the third skill, that change in your ability to have a different management cadence, right? To break your own model, to have relationship business reviews with your partner saying, who are your top five relationships instead of quarterly business reviews that say, what are your top five sales? And by the way, I understand listening to this, we still have to make sales. I'm not saying, right? But you have to be able to divide your focus. Think of it like a piece of pie, right? You've got a whole pie, a couple pieces of the pie have to still be towards traditional transactional selling. A couple pieces of the pie have to be towards this ecosystem. So then the next skill, the fourth skill, if you will, is the technology expertise. So we have long believed that If I want to have a good channel chief in security, I'm going to hire somebody who was a security channel leader or channel salesperson or cam in security. And we equated technology expertise to the technology you knew. Did you know networking? Did you know comms, collaboration, cloud, security? Er, That's over now. Um, While it is important that you have technology chops, I will call it. Everything's technology now. And and in fact, uh, I just read an article where, you know, Many of the consumer good manufacturing firms are hiring away tech talent from tech industries because every company thinks they're a tech company now. So this pure technology expertise is just not the right technology expertise. So the technology expertise you need now as an ecosystem leader is to understand the tools that will aid your ecosystem to do the job better. That starts very simply with things like PRM. Then it expands to multi-deal management with things like partner tap and cross beam and reveal. And then it goes a level higher to say, do you understand how your company is using marketing automation, like a, a Zift or a Marketo or right like through partner marketing technology, not the programs, how the tech work. And then it goes to performance technology. And there's companies that have everything from how well do you present on LinkedIn, which is an AI bot that tells you how many times you paused, didn't have people looking. To companies like Set Sale, uh, and if you're looking for Set Sale, it's like Set Sale, like when you would sale.io, which is an AI app that tracks what really closed a sale versus what your sales rep loads in CRM. And so that kind of technology expertise, that expertise to understand how you can use technology to automate and make your partner journey simpler. That's the tech expertise we need now, not the tech expertise of, I know security. I know what SD-WAN is, right? That, that's fine. You can learn that in the certification class for your partners. What you have to know is the tech expertise to know what to bring in to automate and simplify your programs. Interesting. Yeah. And there's so much new technology coming out and you, you just named a few right there. That's why when, when InPartner or Zift or Allbound or you know whoever has a partner event and 
channel chiefs don't go, which you were not guilty of, you were in the room. I worry about those people because they're not going to make the transition to ecosystem leader because they don't understand the technology. They're not deeply ingrained. They have some PRM manager and they don't think about it. And they should be waking up every day thinking screen time is the only thing that matters to the next generation. They do everything staring at their screen. They'll pay $10,000 for a Super Bowl ticket and then stare at things on their screen the whole time they're in the stands. And in that world, your technology expertise around the things in the screen really matters. Yeah. This is a, a great example of what got you here won't get you there, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so it's a different kind of tech. But my fifth skill is one that dismays me to even have to bring up, but I will. And it's financial acumen. So it is shocking, appalling. You use whatever name you want. The sheer amount of channel leaders who can't read a company's annual report, who don't understand how EBITDA is calculated don't understand the inverse relationship between, you know, equity and compensation, who, you know, who don't understand the, the basic financial acumen of good business. They might understand a little bit about their sales P&L, but they don't have the financial acumen to, to have that higher level conversation. And this impacts them everywhere. It impacts them when they make partnering agreements. You see them doing things like making partnering agreements without involving procurement because they think they're getting away with something. It goes to them not having the, the financial savvy or financial information about their partners. When you ask them how well-funded is this partner, do they have debt? And what you know, what's their investment profile look like? They don't know. And this is a massive gap because what's happening is they're, especially right now, as we have an, you know, an economy in flux, that lack of financial acumen is leading to them partnering with people that are not going to make the gut. They're not going to make And it's also leading to them doing things in their partnering agreements that are detrimental long-term to their firm. Have you, Janet, short of getting an MBA, have you seen any good sources for people to up their skills in that area? I have. There's some good simplistic courses from CompTIA that I think are really good. Wharton gives free virtual classes on financial metrics and financials, which I would highly encourage, I believe. So there's Rutgers and a few others. Check your alumni group. But I would say that there is more than enough for you to figure it out and build your skills. You just have to want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Make the time. Yeah. You have to want to do it. And by the way, many companies will pay for you to do that too, if you want to you know, spend some money on that. So that financial acumen and the change um, and how you look at cost of channels, right? It's no longer the cost of channels. It's the lifetime value of the channel that we could be focusing on. And so, you know, it just, it elevates our discussion. And that's what makes us an ecosystem leader versus a pretty good channel sales leader because we're elevating our discussions and we're able to have that C-suite level discussion about what the long-term impact is of our efforts. So that rounds out my first five. All right. Okay. So now everybody's going, okay, I've got a list, right? But but the list gets harder as I go up. So yeah, I know. So the next one is, and I say this all the time, and I just read a Harvard Business Review on it, where they were saying that customers now are only spending about 17% of all the time they spend in the buying process. So think about this. All the time they spend in the buying process, only 17% of it is spent with a salesperson. And if there are multiple providers of the same solution, that 17% is split amongst them. And so that means that you might be getting 5 or 6% of the time that a customer spends 
in its entirety, right? So say they spend 100 hours deciding to buy a tech solution. You might get six of those hours in its entirety for you to position your solution. Where are they spending the rest of their time? Yeah, that's what's important because that's that's not much time for me as a seller to get that guy's attention and influence. It is not. A decade ago, that number was more than 70%. So, and we all talked about it, right? We talked about it. When this started a decade ago, we said, whoa, customers are now spending 30% of their time in, in self-instruction. And this was a shocking number because 10 years before it was like 10%, right? Well, now it's effectively... 80 plus percent of their time is spent without you guiding them. And it's all the the purviance of marketing and demand. And so the change here as channel leaders, a lot of people talk about marketing demand as MDF, as what am I going to give the partner a little bit, a little bit, right? Or the distributor a little bit, a little bit to go out and market my solutions. And I would give them these snappy little marketing campaigns that they never used because the channel doesn't sell that way. They don't sell your solution. They sell their solution and kind of tag you into it. So all this stuff was wasted and everybody was frustrated and a lot of golf parties and lunch and lunch resulted. And so, but now we got to get serious about marketing and demand. You've got to own how demand is being driven and you have to own how eyeballs in that other 80 plus percent are seeing solutions as the ecosystem leader. You've got to do things and I'll, I'll use an example. We did this for a vendor. We went through their top 20 ecosystem partners, search engine optimization and websites. And we found very unhealthy websites with bad search engine optimization. They weren't getting found by customers. We fixed those top 20 partners site, took everything that we learned, put it into a course, taught it to the next hundred partners, right? And the channel managers. And then all the channel managers have this as a playbook now, like, look, this is what you have to do. They doubled their sales just through that program. Why? Because eyeballs saw their content. And that's people are self-instructing, they're self-learning. So that getting involved in marketing and demand and not just thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give everybody $10,000 of MDF this year and they spend it how they want to spend it. No. Ecosystem leaders are saying, here's our plays. Here's how we're going to get digital demand going. You can sign up for one of these three plays, depending on, you know, where you are in my hierarchy, and we're going to run the play with you. And we'll teach, we'll learn, we'll listen, we'll go forward. And so, you know, we're really seeing the folks that are going to emerge as the ecosystem leaders and already are, quite frankly, digging in on marketing and demand and refusing to lose. And by the way, the folks we did that with last year went from an 8x ROI on their MDF spend which they said they thought was over generous, but that was what they calculated, 8X to 33X ROI on their MDF spend. We did this for multiple vendors. So it's possible, right? And it's not, we didn't spend any more money. We just said, we're going to do this differently. We're going to make an assumption that our ecosystem partners don't actually know how to market. They just know how to sell. And so we're going to market, we're going to teach them, you know, how to really do this right. And we're even doing, and I'll, you know, I'll stop the soliloquy after this, but we're doing a boot camp in January for one big, big name vendor and uh, around recasting your marketing plan and how do you get demand and get to this higher IOR. They have been pushing all year to get people to attend other events that they do, right? Pushing hard, doing well, but was a heavy lift. They were sold out 17 minutes after they announced the event. So if you think there's not a pent up demand in the channel, 
If they don't know that they need help with marketing, you'd be wrong. So become that expert, have those experts on your team. It's not arts and crafts anymore. It's critical that you understand how to do marketing and how to stimulate demand. Obviously a really key element. I'm curious, and I don't know if there were any numbers behind this, of what percentage, okay, you got the marketing online time that the customer's spending, a little bit of time spent with your sales rep. How much time is out with your partners and talking to your partners who are well, actually, that 17% was inclusive of direct and indirect sellers. Oh, really? Even your partner reps? Yep. Well, that's even scarier. It is very scary. 27% was learning online. 18% was learning from your network. And then 22% was building consensus around internal and partner stakeholders. So you did get a little more time there for the partners. And then, you know, the little 17% allocated to the supplier interaction. And so that when you start thinking about that math, you start thinking about those numbers, right? You understand why it's so important to be where they are, go where they're fishing. Yeah. Wow. That's a shift. It ties us back to that LinkedIn SSI score because that's part of where they're fishing. And so if you don't stand out, if you have a 48, and by the way, if you have a 48, Rob's going to share my contact information at the show, at the end. I'll tell you how you can get a higher score. Just Call Janet if you've got a 48. <laughs> you need help. <laughs> or whatever, a 52. You know, I'm not limiting it. I'm not discriminating. If you're not at a 75 or better, call. An 80 is ideal, but a 75 I'll take. So that was, you know, skill number six. Now, again, I said it gets harder and harder. The next skill on the ladder is changing who are your targeted connections. And so the example I'm going to give here is ecosystem leaders spend time with the folks that are going to influence the behavior of tomorrow. They are capable of seeing a future that others haven't seen yet. They invest their time accordingly. You see them doing, Rob, you're a good example. You see them doing more podcasts. You see them showing up at events. You see them using their influence to start conversations and targeting the right connections and making sure they have the right connections. Folks that aren't going to emerge as ecosystem leaders have connections and they'll spend all their time there. They'll meet with the same 20 partners at every event. They'll fly out to see the same 20 partners, uh, their top 20, even though we know that that top 20 is going to shift and change radically because of what's happening in the industries that we're in. They don't change that approach. They don't target new connections. They don't wake up on January 1st and say, this quarter, here's the 100 connections I have to make. Because in my end user customer base, everybody's listening to whomever, right? Insert name, right? I've got to have this connection. I'm a heavy in healthcare. John Nasta is the number one healthcare influencer. Do you or do you not have a relationship with Nasta? I need to recruit 500 partners. Do you or don't you have a relationship with Spee and Shines and, you know, a few other folks like Vince Minzone and, and folks like I mentioned, right? Do have you targeted the right connections? And what I find is that most people haven't. They just rely on who they've always known. And so if they change roles, they go out and sign up the same partners they've always known, which are totally their own partners, but it sounds good on paper the first month. So, so that targeted connections, that removing yourself from your day-to-day -day business of today and saying, yeah, but, but who will I need? Do I need to be good friends with someone from Honeywell because there's a different kind of manufacturing cast here for technology and I need to get them educated about why they should pull us in? These kinds of thoughts are what ecosystem leaders have. That's why they kick it and they, they, you know, they kill the channel chief in performance immediately when they come in because they're capable of knitting this more complex world. 
Yeah, that sounds like a super important one. And by the way, I, I love the sound of Spee and Shines. I'm not sure if it's a law firm or a detective agency. Right? Oh, I'd love to do detective. That would be so much more fun, right? The ecosystem detectives. The ecos, I, okay, done. We're the ecosystem detectives. That's super fun. Talk to us for more info. And then, you know, so if you think about that, those targeted connections, that, that's really critical. And, and I play this game a lot of times. I do a, a development program with ecosystem leaders. And one of the things that I'll do is say, let's go look at your connections. Let's look at what you're trying to do, what you're trying to sell to, how you're trying to position your company in the market. And now let's look at who you're actually connected with. And oh, by the way, like your high school roommate, unless they're running one of those companies, doesn't count as a targeted connection. Neither do the thousands of people that like your post because they work in your company. That also doesn't count. And it's pretty disheartening for people to realize they've got a gap. But, you know, it's a very simple process to get those connections. And, and by the way, you can outsource that. You don't have to sit on social media all day and do that. Okay, so that brings us to skill seven, right? So getting harder, and, and you're going to say with this next one, how could that be harder? It's because this next skill is about proactive listening. And many times as the channel chief or channel leader, we've been all about presenting and proactive talking and getting ahead of things and having our voice heard, right? As opposed to listening. So, you know, I always challenge leaders, good ecosystem leaders have the tools and the time set aside to use those tools to listen to what the crowd is saying, not just what the partners are saying, but what end user customers are saying, what industry analysts are saying, what, what people are saying. They've set up hashtags that they're following. They or someone on their team compiles daily what's happening about their brand on Reddit and LinkedIn and all these Facebook IT groups, right? What are people actually saying and what should you be doing about that? What's, what are people saying? And they're at the right watering holes and they're listening. And then once they've listened, right, they're able to, to come out with more targeted communications as opposed to communicating for communication's sake. And I had one executive challenge me that proactive listening should be like much lower on the list because how hard could it be? And I said, okay, 30 days, go to 30 days, we're going to catch back up and you're going to tell me how much of your time you spent proactively listening and adding what you learn to your plans. And at the end of 30 days, it was, you know, as you can imagine, a whole hour the first day after the challenge and 20 minutes the second day and 10 minutes the third day and then never again. And then they got their annual partner survey, which is, you know, as pretty useless, quite frankly, uh, in the environment we're in now an annual, you know, survey. And the partners are always overly nice anyway in those surveys. And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, my partners complain a lot, then your, your program's really bad because they're actually pretty polite in those surveys. So that proactive real world listening is a tough skill because it does take time. Yep. Or listen, and I tell everybody this all the time, hire an intern and have them listen for you and present their findings to you a couple times a week. Like it, it, there are ways around this. Hire a contracting firm. We do this for some of our clients, right? But there are ways around this. And you just have to practice it. And by the way, I would also say if you don't have a like an ecosystem advisory council, that's another great way to listen to. Have calls with those folks and listen. Don't make it your agenda and you presenting. So now that gets us to skill number nine, which is that communities are being built differently now. They're being built bottoms up versus top down. For a long time, we thought of our communities and we thought, eh, if I have my top 20 partners at the table, that's my community. And in fact, even if you look at the old fashioned, old school, partner advisory council. It was typically the top partners. 
And maybe they would throw in like one, you know, diversity partner or something just to be good or one alliance, right? Or, or one something. But it was primarily their top partners. And they did it because they were listening to the top sellers, right? But we've already reviewed. Exactly. And by the way, many times those top sellers feedback was hurting the long tail of the channel, right? Because what they wanted is not necessarily good. So we're now starting to see that those top partners, particularly in this economic environment, cannot outrun the decline of enterprise and corporate from negotiation and layoffs and licensing reductions, et cetera. So we need to shift our focus to what's happening in that bottoms up community. And some of that, by the way, you can handle with that skill I just mentioned before, that proactive listening, right? But you have to look at from a bottoms up community, who will be the most important ecosystem players 10 years from now? seven years from now, five years from now, three years from now, a year from now, right now. And then you have to look at your kind of, you know, continuum of what you're doing in the community towards that end. So I'll give you a great example. I was talking with an ecosystem leader the other day. We were talking about events you're going to go to in 2023 because events are back with a vengeance, right? And he was going through his list, right? Of the standard events we all know and love. I won't name names. And I said, what? And he said, what do you mean, but what? And I said, but that's where your existing partners are. Like, let's go back to your map, right? Your map said in five years, because of how you work in the industry in five years, it was in collaboration. The MarTech companies, the folks that sell websites and Google search and email campaigns and digital campaigns, they're going to have a much larger voice in what contact center software is selected. Why are you at no MarTech events? Because I'm confused. Isn't that where your future partners are going to be? And there was this just kind of moment of, oh, shoot. I'm like, right. Bottoms up community, not top down, not where my current partners are today. My goodness. Do you need to see them 12 times a year? I don't think you do. I really don't. If you need to buy them a beer that bad, send them like a coupon or something. But, you know, this concept of go bottoms up and say, my end user customers are going to be here. They're going to be listening to these communities. How do I get involved in these communities? That's where the, the magic starts to happen for the ecosystem leader. And it's a skill. And by the way, you're going to be super unpopular with at least one person on your team. What, you know, when you tell them you're not doing those events and probably super unpopular with some of the media, right? Because you didn't do their event. But you have to do it because you have to be where your community is building. And I think that's where we really need to that skill, right, of understanding bottoms up what communities should I be in. It's very important. So that one, that's the Wayne Gretzky skating to where the puck is going. Yes, it's skating to where the puck. And by the way, you can do like 10 of those events for the cost of one of the big channel events. Yeah, I bet. They're so much more affordable. And you can go and listen and learn and make some friends and, and get there before anybody else does. And that's the key with the ecosystem leader. They grabbed and cemented and owned a group of people before anybody did. Like I'll go back to my friends at Rain who we worked with for years. They had, you know, a doorbell and everybody traditional thinking would have said, okay, you're going to, you're going to sell that through like Best Buy or, you know, something like that. They said, you know, I really think we should try to penetrate the alarm installers. And they killed in that market. They got there before anybody else. They went to the events those guys went to. They became their friends and they killed. And other folks like Google didn't. And you can see the market share, right, in their approach. So that bottoms up community is super important. Wow. All right. Drum roll number 10. Drum roll. 
It is your influence sphere. You have to ask, are you casting your influence effectively? And casting your influence effectively is a combination of brand, right? Having the right brand, not your company brand, the you brand. And ecosystem leaders understand that. Just putting out their company drivel. I'm sorry to all the marketing people that do corporate marketing. I love you. I truly do. But when as an ecosystem leader, we just repost what our company posted about their product or their company, it's so insincere that it just stinks of, you know, bad branding. Um, They have to build trust, right? They have to be that person who, when they hear that comment in the proactive listening, um, and Rob Ray, um, before he left Dotto, was a great example of this. He would like come right in as the channel leader, right? And say, oh, I heard you had a problem, right? How can I help? Or we're wrong. You're right, right? So building that trust. It's very highly indicated on the content that you share. So a lot of folks, and I go in and it drives me insane, Rob, because I go on really smart people's LinkedIn profiles and I look at their activity, which is what will pop up first if you you know search for them. And it's just a whole bunch of stuff that I can't get any idea of why I should work with them, why I should care, you know, why they have any influence at all. And it's such a simple thing, right? To change how you approach your content and they don't do it. Again, you can outsource it. Shameless plug. We create influencers. And then it's your connections. I talked about this before and that targeted connections, right? Do you have the right connections? Are you connected to the people who, when you have to put your finger on the pulse of something to to land a deal or a big alliance or whatever, that you have the connections? And then are you engaging? And by the way, FYI, on social media, lazy liking someone's post does not mean you're engaging. It's just what it says. You're lazy liking. But are you asking, you know, are you when... When someone you want to connect with, I'll go back to John Nosta and healthcare. When John Nosta makes a thoughtful post about healthcare, are you actually engaging and saying, that's really interesting, John, can I ask you another question? What are you thinking about this? And John is saying, I got to connect with this, this person. They, they seem pretty tuned in and pretty smart. And then using that connection, not to immediately spam him and try to sell him, but to start to maybe, you know, tag him in a couple of posts and ask for his opinion on a few things and maybe meet with him at one of these bottoms up community events. And all of a sudden now you've got that engagement and that relationship and that influence sphere matters. It's number one still in the top 10 skills. It's what separates ecosystem leaders from channel managers. It's because they have that influence sphere. They're at the watering holes. They have a voice at the watering holes. They're listening at the watering holes and people really want to go to them for the advice, for the the insight, for the connection. People want to be connected with them. And this is something, you know, again, shamelessly JSG plug here for my team of the last five influencers of the year in the channel, four of them were JSG clients. And one of them was Jay McBain. So I, I can, you know, I, because we're so close, I can claim some fame for that too. But think about that. It can be taught it can be learned. It can be, you can get help with it, but you have to change your mind to say, this is an important skill. It's not fluff. It's not something my Marcom people are telling me to do. It's, it matters every day. That doesn't mean you have the time to do it every day. It just means that it matters every day. And so if you don't have the time to do it, either someone on your team or a third-party resource should be doing it for you so that you do post that consistent content and you are making those connections and engaging online. Yeah. Wow, Janet, those are powerful. That's just a great, great list. And it gives me so much food for thought. I've got a hundred other questions I'd want to ask you about this and probably our listeners too. And uh, they certainly will know how to contact you if they have those questions. 
you know, I'm thinking about what does this do for compensation? You know, how we, how we design our comp plans for our reps. Right. Totally changes for your reps. Exactly. In fact, I. And the cams, the cams too. And the cams. Yeah. I just did a, a comp plan with somebody. Well, someone on my team did it, but I was looking at it and they put in social, social media interaction and influence as one of the elements in the comp plan this year. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, probably more interesting this year, right, Rob? Because I do think we're going to see travel budgets cut a bit. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So really, really an interesting metric. Now, you know, should it be 75% of their comp? You know, probably not, but it should be something that's measured. It should be something that's reported on. It should be something that's brought up at your staff meetings. It should be, how are we doing about this? And, and how well are we using that influence to then kind of transform into a social selling, you know, weapon? Because that's what you're looking for. Yeah, it's interesting too. You know, we started talking about your time on the podcast three years ago, all about influence. And influence has been a common theme throughout all of these points we've been talking about. It is. It's a common theme. And I, I think that we sometimes underestimate how important influence is. We are, as I said at the beginning, in the decade of influence. I don't know what 2030 will bring, but the 2020s are definitely the decade of influence. And you don't have to just believe me. You can read our friend Jay McBean or Harvard Business Reviews or anything else to see that this is where the world is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is fantastic, Jen. Okay. On the personal side, anything fun going on? What kind of adventures are you planning for yourself? Oh my goodness. You know what? Just tonight, I'm going to Beatles on the Beach, which sounds super fun. And Mickey Dolan from the Monkees is going to be there. So I'm looking forward to that blast from the past. Um, I think I was a little tiny baby when my mom used to watch the Monkees. So that's fun. And uh, so that's great. Then, of course, I'm in South Florida. So the holidays are always great. Everybody's coming down to visit. And I've got a ton of travel, as you can imagine, starting the year. But I think the thing that's probably most exciting that I'm seeing is this, this shift as we're working with clients towards people standing up as ecosystem leaders and changing the game. And I'm just, you know, really excited to do more of that work next year um, in some lovely locations. People seem to be having events in nice areas. So uh, in some lovely locations around the globe. Wow. Well, Jen, I'm going to make a prediction. I think this podcast has the potential to be the number one top podcast for Channel Journeys next year. I think there's just so much great content, so much important content in what we just discussed that uh, I'm going to be listening to it over and over, I think, to, to make sure I'm paying attention to all these, these topics and points and uh, make sure I'm doing all these things and make finding the time to do all these things. Yeah, you're, you're a good example of a great ecosystem leader. I do appreciate the fact that even the greats feel they need to refresh their skills and learn. Oh, yeah. The, you, there are definitely things that I'm not doing enough of that, that you have described here. So this is fantastic. Well, I told somebody this last week, and I'll close with this. Even the most winning quarterback of all times still has a coach. That is a great words to end with. We, we never outgrow the need for a coach. We outgrow the need for a coach. So. <laughs> All right, Janet, have a fantastic 2023. Thank you. You too, Rob. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure. All right, channel pros, there you have it. 10 incredible tips for becoming a channel leader. I want to extend a huge thank you to Janet for such a fun and valuable interview and such great advice. I'm already following it. I hope you will too. I've documented all 10 tips that Janet gives 
They're in the show notes that you can find by going to channeljourneys.com slash CJ107. You can subscribe while you're there. And if you enjoyed the show, I want to ask you, please take a few minutes and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. That will help us get more Channel Journeys listeners and help us spread the power of partnerships. All right, many of you may be dealing with multiple partner programs developed over the year. This is a pretty common problem. Next episode, you're going to learn how to simplify all those down to one partner program. You don't want to miss it. Until then, have an awesome channel journey.